Welcome to Lifehouse Church Online. To know more about our senior pastors, head to the Lifehouse website. We hope you enjoy the service. So thank you for the opportunity of speaking to you while you sip on your lattes or, you know, crunch on your toast today. I really think it's a, a tremendous opportunity, and, and thank you, Pastor Richard. I really appreciate it. Now, I want to share with you something that comes out of uh, the book of Psalms, Psalm 109, verse 4. There's a very interesting statement here. I don't know when this happened in the life of David. I'm not sure what the circumstances were exactly, but he describes a time in his life that was, well, pretty distressing, actually. He talks about everybody around about him criticizing him, being opposed to him, saying all sorts of things against him. And he says this in verse 4, and this is what encouraged me. He says, in return for my friendship, they accuse me. So he was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to be a nice guy. He, he was trying to help. But it says, in, in return for my friendship, they all turn on me, and they make accusations against me. And I think, well, we've all been in a situation like that, where things are just, you know, not right, and, and, and people don't understand what we've been trying to do, and people have turned against us and said things against us. It's a tough time. It's a difficult time. It, it causes a lot of self-doubt, I suppose. It causes, it, it's hurtful and painful. And, and to me, it's just typical of some of the circumstances we can find ourselves in life that is distressing and painful to us. But notice the answer of David in this verse. He says, in return for my friendship, they accuse me, but, and there's, there's the changing point, but I am a man of prayer. I love that. I really do like that. You see, he was surrounded by enemies. He was, he was experiencing injustice. He was being criticized. He was being defamed. And he said that the best response is to pray. You see, he didn't try and fight fire with fire. He, he knew that the, that the weapons of his warfare were not carnal. He knew that he could put up an argument. He knew that he could just be angry. He knew that he could strike back. He knew that he could, you know, sort of, you know, get back at them in some way and retaliate. But he said, no, I am a man of prayer. And that to me is a powerful understanding here because faced with trouble and challenges, he says, I'm a man of prayer. And we're faced with troubles today, aren't we? We're, we're in a lockdown yeah, and we're faced with problems, and, and, and some of us don't have a job to go to, and, and some of us are worried about where our business is going to be when this is all over, and some of us are worried about a vaccination, whether we should or whether we shouldn't, or whether it's going to, um, um, what's going to happen in the future, and we have all these problems around about us. We are faced with all this trouble, and in the middle of all of that, we've got riots on the street and earthquakes. Then you think, my goodness, what's going on? What can I do? And the answer, David's answer, pray. It's a powerful response. You see, Nehemiah said and when he was being opposed, when there was all sorts of resistance against him and trouble, he said in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 9, but we prayed to God. And that's got to be our answer here. See, what, can, what else can we do? We need to pray. We don't have solutions for all this stuff. We need to pray. Things are out of our hands. They're in the hands of, of people with power, but we can pray. That's why James says in James chapter 5, verse 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And that's our key. We can do a lot through our prayer. Prayer isn't doing nothing. Prayer is doing the most important thing of all. It's doing the greatest thing that you can possibly do. 
I like the amplified translations of James 5.16. Listen to it. It says, The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous believer can accomplish much, made effective by God. It is dynamic and can have tremendous power. That's what we've got. We are not powerless here. Don't think because you're in a lockdown and because you can't go to work or because you've lost your job or because your business is being threatened or because there's riots on the street and earthquakes are happening or your football team didn't win. Don't think you're sitting there a victim and powerless. You are not a victim. You are not powerless. You have a powerful weapon called prayer. And I think sometimes I hear people say, well, I couldn't do anything, so I just had to pray. What do you mean you couldn't do anything? Prayer shouldn't be the last thing we do. Prayer must be the first thing we do. It's the most powerful thing we ever can do. And so I want to encourage you here that to see what David saw, that prison, uh, uh, prison doors were open when people prayed, that sick were healed when, when people prayed, the dead were raised through prayer, there were widows provided for because of prayer, fire were brought down from heaven, you know, water came from a rock, and uh, the strength were given, uh, the weak were given strength, and, and wisdom came to the unwise because people prayed. Prayer is the reason that famine and drought came to an end. Prayer was the reason that the whole cities were delivered. Prayer protected believers when they faced fiery furnaces and dens of lions. Prayer works, friends. It really is powerful. And David gives us an insight into this powerful thing called prayer. The one most important weapon we have at our disposal. The best response to any and every circumstance in life. So let's have a look at what his secret was in praying. What did he believe that gave him this absolute confidence that prayer was the solution to every problem he faced? The first thing we notice in this psalm is found in verse 21. He says, but you, sovereign Lord, help me for your name's sake, because out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. Here's the first thing he believed. God was good. That was fundamental to him. He believed God is good. And you'll notice he says, but, but you, sovereign Lord. Now, that's the second time that we've noticed this word, but. There's a couple of others in this psalm, but let's have a look at this. The first time he's, when faced with a problem, he says, but I pray. And the second time he uses this word, he says, but, but you, Lord, are good. So you, you want to bring these two, two buts together here, okay? Because these two buts together are very powerful and very important. David says, but I pray, but the Lord is good and helps me. I'm in the middle of a situation, but I pray, and but the Lord helps me, no matter what they do. So when you bring these two together, you have this important contrast, what comes before the but and what comes after the but. And what comes before the but is trouble and difficulty and stress and pressure and all the rest of this stuff. But he says, but I pray, and God helps me. Isn't that fantastic? Because he believed that God is good, that God is not the cause of his problem. And the cause of your problem and my problem is not God. He's not punishing us here. You know, he, he's not after us to hurt us. He doesn't have a plan to, to destroy us. He's not evil. He is good. And whatever's happening, David knows that God stays good, that he remains good, that he doesn't change his goodness. And so he declares his confidence in God, that God is not the cause of the trouble, but he's the solution to the trouble. 
And that's where our faith has to start. There has to be a beginning point in our faith in prayer. And we begin by believing in the goodness of God. We don't begin by saying, oh God, why are you punishing me? Oh God, why, why are you hurting me? What are you doing this to me for? What have I ever done to you? Why don't you love me anymore? We don't start there. We start with a declaration. God, you are good. You're not the cause of this problem, but you are the solution to this problem. And that's where the prayer of faith begins. And that's where we have to begin, the way David started. We may be locked down, but we pray to God and he will help us. Amen. We may be surrounded by the plague, but we pray and God is going to help us, right? There are riots, there are earthquakes. Who would have thought? But we pray and the Lord will help us. We are not going to be intimidated into fear. And that's what's happening here. That's the riots, the earthquakes, the lockdown, the plague. And what it's trying to do, let me tell you, there's a strategy here. It's trying to cause fear in your hearts. It's not just done by a government. It's done by the devil. And it's causing fear. And we have to stand against that because perfect love casts out all fear. And we have to have faith in the face of fear. And our faith is in a God who is good. We are not afraid because God who is good is on our side. Amen. He's with us, and if He is with us, then who or what can stand against us? So He prayed with confidence that God was good. Listen, focus on your total and absolute confidence in the goodness of God. Pray today that you pray to a God who you know without shadow of doubt is absolutely good. There's no shadow of evil in Him. Amen? And we come to that God in our prayer, knowing that the good God is a God that's going to help us, that He's the solution to our problems. Second thing you notice, he says, it's found in verse 26. Help me, Lord. Save me according to your unfailing love. There's an idea, isn't it? That God loved David. Not only is God good, but God loves you. Now, I, you know, someone can be good, but they might not love you. But David says, no, God is good. And more than that, the God who is good, he loves me. I, I, I'm the focus of God's attention. He loves me. And see, when we begin to understand that God is kind and God is merciful, that that's his nature, he's not just morally good, but you know, he's nice. He's kind. He's favorable towards us. He wants to help us. You know, that God, as according to David, believed that, that you know, there was a plan of good things for David and God wanted to bring it about because he cared for David. He loved him like a father would love a child. And, and that was, again, an essential fundamental foundation in the prayer of David. God is good and God loves me. I belong to him and he loves me. But he goes further than that because he talks about this love of God, this favor, this grace, this kindness of God. He says it's unfailing. I like that because where do you find unfailing love today? I mean, look around you. You see love coming and love going. And you've only got to sit, put the television on for a couple of hours and watch one of the stupid soapies or one of those movies and you'll find love is always failing. Somebody's always walking away from a relationship, always breaking something up. It's a failing love. But when we come to God, we have unfailing love. His love goes on forever. It's everlasting, one translation says. It doesn't change when circumstances change. The love of God hasn't changed towards you because your situation changed. He didn't like, like you and love you when you had a job. And he doesn't love you now when you don't have a job. He didn't love you when your business was going well and doesn't, you know, not love you now. It's all the same. 
God still loves us. We might be in, in the midst of a pandemic, but God loves us as much now as he did at the beginning. His love is unfailing. It's there for you right now. No matter what situation you're in, the love of God is unfailing. It doesn't fail. So that means you can bring, bring whatever problem you like to God and his love won't fail. He doesn't say, hey, hang on a minute. I don't love you that much. You know, hey, hang on a minute. That's a bit too much to ask. Aren't you presuming I love you, so I'm going to do this for you? You've got to be joking. That's not the equation here. His love is unfailing no matter what your needs may be. No matter what the trouble is, he's unfailing. No matter what you face, it's an unfailing love. So let's remember that. He's good. And his love for you is personal and unfailing. There's a third thing David talks about. It's found in verse 28. It says, and while they curse, may you bless. Oh, I just love this idea. While they curse, may you bless. I love the idea that David had here is that despite all the cursing, God was going to be blessing. And the blessing of God overrides the cursing of everybody. That his blessing is greater than any curse that he may have encountered. See, he's praying that during this time of trouble and difficulty, the blessing of God is still going to flow. Let me say to you, the blessing of God is there now. The blessing of God is there right now. While we are being cursed, God is going to bless it's not a matter of saying, well, let's wait till this is all over. And when this is all finished, well, then, you know, uh, uh, maybe God can bless me. No, that's not what David's saying. He says, while it's all going on, while they're angry, while they're opposed, while I'm faced with all this trouble, while I'm distressed, while I'm being hunted and haunted, God is going to bless me. Do you believe that God can bless you even in the middle of a pandemic? Do you believe that God can bless you while there's riots in the street and earthquakes? I do. See, this is the great test of our faith. You know, we've been sitting in church for years believing, yeah, yeah, we believe. And now, who would have thought that you would have had a, a pandemic, that you would have been under house arrest, that you're going to have an earthquake, that you're going to have all these things happening to you, riots in the street, and your football team lost, and in the middle of all of that, do you believe that God is going to bless you? You must. Have faith. He's going to bless us. Amen. There is blessing for you even right now. I know it's hard to see. And it was hard to see for David. But he believed it. And you and I may not see it, but we've got to believe it. We may not feel it, but we're going to believe it. That God is so good, loves us with an unfailing love so much that he's going to bless us in the midst of everything. You see, David believed that God is the solution to the cursing of his enemies and God is a solution to every problem you and I face. The solution to our unemployment, the solution to our troubled business is God. And we can believe for blessing. Believe for blessing. Believe that you're going to get a better job. Believe that your business is going to thrive in some way. Believe that this is a turning point, a, a moment when things can start to happen for you. Just begin to believe for it right now. Because in the middle of all of this, I don't know how God is going to do it. I, I don't suppose to know. I'm not God. I can't do it. Don't ask me how it can be done. But I know God can bless, will bless. And the plan of God is to bless you in the middle of all of this. He had faith in God to bring blessing in the midst of his circumstance. Uh, that draws to my attention a little statement that uh, you find in the book of Genesis, chapter 20, uh, uh, in regard to Joseph, uh, Jacob, Joseph, Joseph. I keep getting those two blokes mixed up. Anyway, it, in regard to Joseph, listen to what it says. Joseph says this. 
Don't you see you planned evil against me, but God used those same plans for my good? Oh, come on. Let me say, uh, look, I can only attribute what's going on in Melbourne to the devil at the moment, honestly. Uh, I, I mean, on it. I, I, Forget the politicians. It's the devil that's at work here. Politicians can't create an earthquake, all right? It's the devil that's going on here. And we can clearly see his hand at work. But when all of this has happened, listen to this. You planned it for evil, but God used those same plans for good. And I'm saying, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I believe for every one of us who have faith in God, every one of us who come to God with a prayer of faith, but for every one of us, we are going to see that what was intended for evil is going to be good. If you lost your job because it was intended for evil by the devil, then you're going to have something better for it. Amen? Whatever's taken from you during this time, God is going to restore it to you and restore it to you fourfold because he's a God of blessing and he's going to do good and his plan for you is good. And though the devil has a plan of evil, God has a plan of good. Amen? I believe it with all my heart. That's why I pray. See, when you go to prayer, that's what drives your prayer because you're believing and receiving that good plan of God. So don't focus on the bad things here. Receive the promise of God for good things. Just spend time meditating and thanking God for His goodness, thanking for His blessing, thanking for the great things that are going to happen and focus on God and we'll come out of this and you'll come out to a better place. Amen? A bigger place, a more prosperous place. And there's something else I want to draw to your attention. Because it says in Psalm 109, verse 31, for he stands at the right hand of the needy. I like this idea. He stands at the right hand of the needy to save their lives from those who would condemn them. Do you get that? Isn't that quite amazing? See, David realized when all this is going on, he's not alone. He's not on his own. God hasn't left him. Now, I want to say to you right now, you may be locked down, and you may not be able to be in touch with your family and your friends and your loved ones. You may be cut off and you can't go to work, and maybe you're stuck within your little radius bubble of 10 kilometers or whatever it is, or maybe it'll be 15 next week, or maybe it won't. I don't know, but the point is this, you're not alone. You are not alone because God stands by the right hand of the needy. I'm needy right now. Are you needy? I'm sure you feel needy. I do feel needy. I find this tough, but I know that God is with me. Amen. That God is standing at my right hand. In Psalm 109, verse 31, the, let me read you what the, the, another translation. It says, for you stand right next to the broken ones. Eh? You stand right next to the broken ones as their saving hero. Wow. That is an amazing insight. He believed that God was there, but he's not just there. He's there as a saving hero. God is with you. He's standing next to you right now. He hasn't walked away from you in this trouble and these needs and these difficulties. He hasn't abandoned you in your trial. He's there with you. Now, let's push this a little bit further in our understanding, shall we? Because in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 13, it says this. God will hold your right hand. God will hold your right hand, saying, fear not, I will help you. Now, here's what I have a picture in my mind, see? I have a picture that here we are needy, and God is at my right hand. But God does more than just stand at my right hand. He takes a hold of my right hand. Now, I want you to picture this. 
you're standing there. God is standing here, but he reaches out his left hand and he takes a hold of your right hand. Now, you know, he's at your right hand, which means he's in a position of power and influence according to Scripture because the right hand position is, a, is an important position and we need to understand what that implies, what it means in the Scripture, what it is indicative of. It's a position of power. It's a position of influence. It's a position of trust. It's a position of authority. And God stands at your right hand. So he brings with him an authority and power and he brings you to that place next to him, which is the place of authority and power and influence. And you stand there and he reaches out from his place of authority and power and influence and he grabs hold of your right hand and I don't know about you but there's, a, there's an issue I got with holding hands I don't mind holding my wife's hand I don't mind holding the hands of my grandkids uh, maybe my daughters but um, I got off a plane in Pakistan a number of years ago and, uh, you know, the, the, I was doing a conference and the pastors were there to greet you as they usually do. And I'm coming out my suitcase and one guy takes a suitcase and goes off. And they're all saying, thank you, pastor, for being here. And, all, and we're all embracing each other and so th thanking God and introducing each other. And then when it was all over, they said, the, the, the car is this way. Come to the car. And this guy, this pastor reaches out his hand and he grabs hold of my hand. And I walk through the rest of the terminal out into the car park with this man, this total absolute stranger holding my hand. I felt so uncomfortable about it. But the guy I was with, the guy that was coming with me, who was himself Pakistani, he said to me, don't worry about it, pastor. He's showing you friendship. He's showing you that you are his friend. He's accepting you. It's a token of great friendship and respect. And so I walk feeling uncomfortable, this guy holding my hand, but saying, you know, I can't let go of his hand because this is important. So when I saw this passage of Scripture, that God will hold your right hand, that just flicked into my mind, this picture of walking through the car park in Pakistan, holding a total stranger's hand. It was, it was surreal. But then I thought about what this means. Because see, if, you think about it, your right hand, for most of us, for the great majority of us, is your dominant hand, right? It's important. It's your strongest hand. The muscles are stronger in your right hand. And in biblical times, it was the right hand that, that held the sword. It was the right hand that threw the spear. It was the right hand that used the sling. It was the right hand that picked up the, you know, the, the weapons and, and fought the battle and held the arrow in the bow. It was the right hand. So when God reaches out and grabs hold of your right hand, the th interesting thing here is you can't defend yourself. You can't do anything. He's got your right hand. You, you, can't, you can't fight. You can't fight with your left hand. And so he's taken away your power to defend yourself. But then what does that mean? While he's got a hold of your left hand in friendship and love and parental care, his right hand is free to defend you, to defeat the enemy, to fight for you. So when it says that God comes alongside and he reaches out his hand and takes a hold of your right hand, what he's saying to you is, it's okay, I got this, I'll fight for you. You don't have to fight for yourself. The weapons of your warfare, they are not carnal. Just trust in me. I'm going to do this for you. He holds on. 
and maintains that connection of friendship and love and parenthood with you that's protecting and providing for you. And at the same time, he says, I understand. You can't do this for yourself. I'm going to do it for you. And the right hand of God is mighty. Amen? The right hand of God is powerful. Over and over in Scripture, his right hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Oh, I tell you what, he can stretch out his right hand wherever you are right now and begin to fight for you and do for you what you can't do for yourself. So I find this a phenomenal picture. And in the middle of all that's happening in Melbourne, God has his hand reached out towards you. And I want to encourage you right now. Just take a hold of the hand of God. Maybe if you're sitting there on your own, maybe you can reach up your right hand and just say, God, I take a hold of your hand. I don't have answers. I don't have solutions. I don't have the strength. I don't know what to do, but I'm taking hold of your right hand. I'm giving up my ability to fight this on my own. I'm giving up my ability to understand this and come up with solutions. I'm trusting in you. I put my trust in you. You fight for me, Lord. You fight the battle for me. You bring me the victory I can't bring. You give me the wisdom I don't have. You provide the strength that I lack, Lord. I'm putting my trust in you. That's what we have to do right now. See, prayer is the most powerful way that we can help somebody else. And it brings to us the most powerful help we can ever get. If you've got friends who are struggling right now, pray for them. You can't go and visit them, maybe. Uh, and maybe you can't even send them something. But just pray for them. It's the most powerful help. It's, it's the solution. And, and God will bring about his answers as we pray, his solutions. It's the most powerful response you can have to anything, is to pray. Prayer is the best way to help others. Prayer is the best way to respond. So prayer is the greatest, most powerful response that we can have to every challenge and trouble in our life. Prayer is action. Amen? Prayer is a solution. Prayer is a powerful force. It's not doing nothing. It's not just sitting there thinking thoughts. You know, somebody said to me recently, oh, I'm sending all these positive thoughts to you. I thought, what a stupid thing to say. Excuse me, that's stupid. How can you send a positive thought? It's a dumb. You can say, I'm thinking well of you, and I'm thinking, you know, and I'm, I'm hoping you'll be all right. But send a positive thought? I don't want it. Pray for me. Don't send me positive thoughts. Talk to God about it. And let's pray together. Amen? And let's believe that we're not sending positive thoughts. What ridiculous idea. But we are praying, and God is going to intervene. When Elijah prayed, in depression, in despondency, and fear, God heard him and sent him an angel to help him. When Elisha prayed, he was surrounded by an enemy army, and they were after him. They were going to kill him. They were after his blood. But God delivered him from that army. When Paul prayed, he was in a dungeon, and God sent him deliverance. And when Peter prayed, the jail cell opened, and he was free. So we can pray anytime, anywhere, anyhow, you can be praying right now where you are in your lounge room or your car or sitting in the backyard or whatever you're doing, doing your walk with your headphones on. I don't know, but you can pray right now. You can pray. No one needs to know what you're doing. You don't have to make a song and dance. You don't have to get on your knees in the middle of the, uh, uh, of the playground or the park. So you can just pray from your heart. God hears your prayer. If Paul can pray in a dungeon, we can pray during our time of lockdown. Amen. If Paul and prayed and saw the doors open, we can pray for our doors to be open and we can pray for our freedom. Amen? And regardless of what 
powers are in authority. We can pray over them, and we have a superior authority that can bring freedom to us. Amen? I believe it with all my heart. See, you can pray right now. You can pray right now, restricted, locked down, limited in movement, lacking resources, facing difficulties, enduring the troubles, shaken with an earthquake, feared by riots. We can still pray. They can't take that away. No one can take prayer away from you. And that's where Daniel is this great example. They tried to stop him praying. They tried to intimidate him. But he wouldn't stop praying. And because he kept praying, and he kept praying, and he kept praying, then God broke through, brought him out the other side, blessed him, and elevated him. And let me tell you, whatever's going on right now, don't stop praying in faith. Amen. Prayer is our answer. It's the way through this. It's the way out to this. And it'll bring us into a place of blessing. Wherever we are right now, let's pray. Can I pray with you right now? Will you open your heart? Pray a prayer of faith with me right now. Father, I just thank you that this is a, a place, Lord, we never thought we would ever find ourselves in. In the middle of a pandemic, Father, locked down, shut up, restricted, limited. Father, we're in a place where we've had earthquakes and riots. And, and Lord, we're a bit anxious about all of this as to where it's going, what's going on, and what things are going to be like in the future. But Lord, we are men and women of prayer. And we're going to take this to you in prayer. We're not going to worry over it in bed at night. We're going to stew over it in the day. We're not going to get depressed about it, Father. We're not going to get, you know, resentful about it. We are men and women of prayer. We deal with this at the throne of God. We come boldly into your throne room right now. You know what's wrong. We lay it out before you. We pray for our freedom. We pray for our healing. We pray for the wholeness of ourselves, of our family, of our nation. We just pray right now for you to intervene. We pray for a powerful anointing of the Holy Spirit upon us and, and a great move of God so that, Lord, this will be once and for all broken and we'll know the freedom to return to church and return to our families, return to our work, and that the blessing and prosperity of God would flow upon every one of these people that are praying right now. We believe it, and we thank you for it, Lord. We have the power of prayer. We have the presence of God who is going to help those of us who are needy, and we believe that we're going to see breakthrough, solutions, and answers, and we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, I'm Richard Kabakian, pastor of Lifehouse Church just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message and I hope and pray that you feel that it's added value to your life. My greatest desire is to see people develop a personal relationship with Jesus, which can begin by praying a very simple prayer. I'm going to pray that prayer right now. And if you'd like to begin that relationship, you can just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I choose you as my only hope of being forgiven. Please come into my life and let me begin a relationship with you that will last for all eternity. If you've prayed that prayer, we would love to know about it and celebrate your fantastic decision. You can do that by sending an email to mydecision at lifehouse.com.au. We look forward to hearing from you.